Welcome to the Grace Chapel Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you're encouraged and built up in your faith as we dive into God's Word together. Enjoy the message. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to John chapter number 8? John chapter number 8. Thank you for joining us on Facebook, part of our live stream today. Make sure you leave us a note. Let us know that you're there. Thank you for being a part of our Facebook stream. We're going to finish a series that we started five weeks ago called Amazing Mercy. Man, have I loved this series. I've loved preaching it. I've loved studying it because we've sung for many years Amazing Grace. And we've talked about the grace of God, but his mercy is also amazing. It is amazing, the mercy of God. And we've kind of had a key verse that we've been using from Micah, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It says, this is the right thing to do, and this is a prophecy, and it's kind of God speaking to his people. He said, instead of just coming back to me by making all these sacrifices, here's what I ask. Here's what I want. Here's what is required of you, that you would do justly that you would love mercy, and that you would walk humbly with God. And it's that middle phrase right there that you'd love mercy, our our hope and our goal with this series. I know certainly in my life that we would fall in love with the mercy of God a little more. He's so rich in mercy. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 says God is so rich in mercy. Lamentations, we looked at that verse where it says that his mercies are new every morning. When you got up this morning, you had a new set of mercy waiting for you to be poured out. And I said last week because really last week's sermon was the reason I started this series because I I noticed that it's easy for me to allow what is happening to our nation and what is going on in the world and we see all of the climate, the political climate of what's happening and sometimes it's easy for me to allow some some angst to rise up or a little bit of of anger or whatever and I see that some of that is happening in my life and, and I have to be very careful that I do not operate without mercy. And I said this last week, you do not have God's permission to operate without mercy. We do not, church, we do not have God's permission ever to operate without mercy. And certainly we could stand for morality and certainly we can talk about what is right and wrong. That's necessary and we need to do more of that as Christians, as a church. But that doesn't mean that we walk that we talk, that we operate without mercy, especially for personal or political gain. Of course, we have to be merciful. We have to be merciful because the world's watching. And listen, have you ever noticed there's angry people out there? Have you noticed that? There's angry people. They're driving. They're angry. They're posting angry posts. They're, they're just angry. But what if we as a church still stood for righteousness, still spoke truth, right? We don't ever stop speaking truth. But what if we did it from a place, from a heart that's filled and flooded with mercy? That would just make all the difference, amen? It would make all the difference. And so we talked about the mercy of God. And in fact, Jesus, when he came to this earth, he changed so much. The very first sermon that he preached, the very first words that he taught, 
is in Matthew chapter 5. And it's so interesting because it says this, Matthew chapter 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount. He starts, this is his theology, this is his doctrine, right? And he starts with this word, blessed. And that right there is powerful. And the reason why that's powerful is because it's the first word of his sermon. And if you go back to the last word of the Old Testament, if you go back to the very last word in the last verse of the last chapter of the last book in the Old Testament, you'll find the word curse. And you go to the very first word of the sermon that Jesus preached, and he says, blessed. Amen? In other words, hey, we're about to change some things around here. And he says, blessed, and he starts with, blessed is the poor in spirit. Now, that doesn't mean poor in any financial terms. It just means that you recognize your spiritual need. In fact, one translation says, blessed are those who recognize their spiritual need. And then he goes on to say this, hey, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And then he says this, blessed are the merciful. Merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful. And Jesus is painting this picture that is so unlike the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day because they really believed that it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And, and if you transgress the law, you deserve to be punished and you deserve the full weight of your transgression. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, you have to recognize your spiritual need and if you're mourning, you're gonna be comforted. If you're hungry and you're thirsty, you're gonna be filled with righteousness. And if you're merciful, come on now, if you're merciful, you're gonna receive mercy. And to me, the greatest picture, to me, the greatest picture of Jesus' mercy is found in John chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, if you're new to grace, of course, we're going to put it on the screen. If you have a phone or a tablet, find John chapter 8, verse number 2. It says this, now early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. It makes me all wonder how they found her. It was a setup, right? They knew where she was at. And they knew who she was with. This whole thing was a setup. And it says this in verse 5, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? And this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up, he saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go 
and sin no more. Over the last few weeks concerning mercy, we've been talking about the parables, the importance of the parables. This is not a parable. This is a true event. This is an actual event of what really happened. Jesus is teaching, and then the Pharisees come, and they bring this woman to her. Now, the way, to, to him. The way that I see this played out, because there are some details left out. Remember, this is a real event. This actually happened. And I just kind of, I have to play it out in my mind. That's just the way I work. I just kind of want to picture it. I want to see it. I want to think about what happened. And I see Jesus with this crowd of people and these religious leaders, they come. And to me, they just threw her at his feet. And I can just picture this woman. The Bible doesn't say this specifically, but I can just picture this woman because she knows the penalty of what she's done, that she is face first on the ground, that she probably has her head, her hands covering her head. She's not looking up. She's not looking around. She's just waiting for the punishment, right? And there's lots of things that I want to know when I get to heaven, like did cats make it? Because I don't think they do. Anyway, so maybe they do. I don't know. That's just one. Did Adam have a belly button? I have deep questions, deep, deep questions. But what I really like to know when I get there is what Jesus was writing. Man, I'd love to know what he was writing on the ground. Maybe he was listing all their sins. I don't know. Maybe he was just writing out a verse. I have no idea. I would love to know what he was writing. The Bible never tells us, so we can just guess, but Jesus stoops down, and he just starts writing on the ground, and they're thinking to themselves, we got him now. We got him. There's no way. He cannot speak against the law, and certainly he can't just wipe her sin away and just sweep it under the rug. He has to come up with an answer. And Jesus is on the ground. He stooped down all the way to the ground, writing on the ground. And then he stands up and he says to them, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And then he stoops back down again. And I don't know if this woman was looking. Again, still in my mind, I picture her as not looking. I still think that she's got her hands. So she's not looking around. But all of a sudden, she begins to hear footsteps. If they had picked up rocks, she begins to hear the rocks falling to the ground. And it starts with the oldest, all the way to the little millennial Pharisees. The Gen Z, the Gen Z Pharisees are like, no, I'm out of here. I guess one last text, one last post, and then they're gone. And there's nobody left. Nobody left. And Jesus goes back down. Remember, because the Bible says he went back down, and then he goes and he goes over to her, and it's just her and Jesus, and he says, woman, where are your accusers? As if she wasn't looking. She didn't know. So she looks up, and there's nobody there to accuse her. And she says, nobody's here. And he says to her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. There are three things I want to point out that Jesus did, and the first one is this. He spoke peace to her fear. Peace to her fear. Listen, of all the things that happened during the pandemic, of all the words that we learned, the phrases that we were taught over that period of time, 
The one that really bothered me the most was, this is the new normal. I hated that phrase. I refused to believe that phrase. I said, it's not the new normal for me. Uh-uh, no way. I'm not going to live like this, cramped up in a house where I, I can't go anywhere, see anybody, touch anybody. I got to wear, uh, and listen, nothing wrong with masks. Don't get in trouble, Brian. On, <laughs> nothing wrong with masks. Nothing wrong with shots. If that's you, that's you. If it's not you, it's not you. It's okay. We all love Jesus, okay? But I am not going to live in fear another day of my life. Amen? I told everybody during that year, I said, hey, this is when it ends. It ends when I say it ends. Amen? I refuse to live in fear. And I don't know what the devil has told you about your family, your finances, your health. He's tried to tell you this is the new normal for you. You have to stand up and say, I refuse to believe this another day. I speak peace to that fear that is growing on the inside of me. And that's what Jesus did to her. Because she thought, this is it. This is how my life ends. I shouldn't have done it. I don't know what caused her to do it. I don't know what going through her mind. I don't know what she was trapped with as far as her emotions, her thoughts, her, the strongholds, the habits of her life. But I know that at that moment, she thought her life was going to end. And Jesus spoke peace to it. The second thing he did is he, he gave her hope for the future. Right? That's what he did. He, he lifted her up. Right, because he said, he stooped back down and said, woman, there's nobody here to accuse you. Now you get up from that ground. We need to learn how to lift people up. Amen? And he lifted her up and said, listen, there's a future out there. Go forward. Sin no more, but go forward. Tomorrow looks better than yesterday does. Amen? You always have to believe the best is yet to come. I don't care if there's a little gray in your hair, you're walking a little slower than you used to walk, you still have to believe that if I'm breathing, God's not done with me. I still believe that God has something for me. In fact, the best is still yet to come. Amen? Who wants the 80s back anyway? That was my decade. I was very young. I don't want it back. I look forward to tomorrow. I don't weep over what used to be. I'm excited about what is going to be. Amen? And we have to look forward to something. And Jesus said, hey, you have a future. Look forward. Look forward. Go. Go forward. And then the third thing he did, and this is where I want to spend my time today, he canceled her shame. He canceled her shame. This is what the devil does. Because there's a difference between shame and guilt. There's a huge difference between shame and guilt. Guilt says, I did something wrong. Right? Guilt says, I, I did something bad. Shame says, you're a bad person. Do you see the difference? And the devil doesn't want to just bring guilt onto your life, what he wants to bring on your life is shame because it speaks to your worth, right? Shame originated in the Garden of Eden. 
Do you remember in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25? It said this, that the man and the wife were both what? They were naked and they were not ashamed. They had no shame. There was no shame in the garden. There was no sense of shame. Shame had not been released onto the earth. But after they sinned, did you hear me now? After they sinned, shame came on the earth. They began to hide from the presence of God, right? They began to live in the shadows, hiding from God's presence. Why? Because of shame. Lord, we hid from you. Why? Shame. Shame. And here's what the devil wants, is he wants you to think about all that you've done. He wants you to think about your past. He wants you to think about your brokenness, every transgression that ever transpired in your life. And he wants you to be gripped by shame. Shame. Because it speaks to your worth. But God has a different plan. God saw the shame, right? And he said, we have to do something about this. Amen. He knows. He knows. Just nothing caught him by surprise. So this father sent his son to deal with shame. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says this, looking unto Jesus, who's what? He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Huh? It says this, that he, for joy, went to the cross. And what did he do? These three words, despising the shame. The word despising in the Greek means I didn't even give it a second thought. Didn't you love that? It says I didn't even think about it. Jesus didn't go, well, well the, all that shame is going to be upon me. I don't know if I want all that shame because crucifixion is the most shameful form of death that was possible at that time. Jesus says, bring on all the sin, bring on all the shame. I'll take it upon myself so that my children do not have to live in shame, be bound by shame, be gripped by shame, live in the shadows anymore. I will take their shame upon me so that the shame of their sin and their their past would be broken. Amen? And so he took our shame. He took our shame. Just like Jesus lifting this woman. Because if you ever wonder, listen to me, church, if you ever wonder what God's called you to do with your life, can I just, can I just tell you what God's called you to do? Speak peace to their fear. If you ever wonder, I don't know, I don't know what God has for me. I do. Here's what God has for you. God has for you somebody who's broken. Somebody that the world has, has flung onto the ground. And one day your feet are going to cross their path. And here's what's going to happen. God's going to say, okay, now you go, you speak peace to their fear. You speak peace to their fear. And then I want you to do this. I want you to speak to their future. And I want you to lift them up. We're, listen, we're not called to push people down. We're called to lift people up. I told you last week, you've got one enemy. It's the devil. Huh? You've got one enemy. It's the devil. We're called to lift people up. You know, I spent years up in North Florida. I, was, I went there as an intern. And my first year in ministry there, they made me the Christian education director of the church. I was in charge of the Wednesday night activities, which back then was 
consisted of these two ministries called Royal Rangers and Missionettes. Royal Rangers was basically Boy Scouts, Christian Boy Scouts. Missionettes was basically Christian Girl Scouts. So they put me in charge of that and all the Sunday school classes. Woo, who remembers Sunday school, all right? I grew up in Sunday school, a little pink house. Anyway, so I was in charge of this and I was 24 years old. Here I am, 24 years old, in charge of all the Christian education of the church. And the church decided it wanted to have a bus ministry. Bus ministry. So we bought a yellow bus. I'm talking about yellow. Yellow. And there was one man that wanted to drive it. His name was Bill. And Bill was awesome, man. But Bill was about as plain a guy as you've ever met. I mean, he was just so ordinary and so plain. He didn't have anything special about him. He didn't have any unique talents or gifts. He was working on his second marriage and had some kids and some stepkids. They were all grown, had some grandchildren. He was just the most ordinary, plain guy, but he had such a heart for kids that he said, I'll drive the bus. So every Wednesday night, he'd come at 5 o'clock at night, and he would get onto that bus. He'd start it. It took about 30 minutes for that bus to warm up. And then Bill would go off into the distance, into the neighborhoods, in this small town, and he would just start picking up kids. And at first, he'd pick up about 10 kids. Go into these neighborhoods, picking up about 10 kids, 15 kids, and it was awesome. It was cute. See these kids come off. And then a few weeks later, about 20 kids. Okay, all right, now we time to go to work because we didn't have a whole lot of helpers, a lot of teachers. You know, I was doubling. I was a Royal Ranger commander and do, trying to go to different classes and do different things. I was just hoping that Cindy and I could get married soon so she can come help me, all right? <laughs> and then 30 kids next week getting off the bus. Finally, I remember standing there on a Wednesday night behind the church, and I was watching where he dropped off the bus, and that bus held 66 kids, and about 80 kids pull off that bus, just come running out of the bus, just running at us, 80 kids, and then he yells, going back for some more, and he takes off, I mean, it was like chaos, I'm like, we got one teacher, 50 boys, good luck, you know? I mean, it was just wild. Finally, I had to sit Bill down, and I had to say, here's my 24-year-old self. Bill was in his 60s. I had to say, Bill, what you're doing is illegal. (laughs) It's called kidnapping. You're going to get us all in trouble. Where are you finding these kids? He said, on the side of the road. I just pull up. Now, here's a 60-year-old man. (laughs) Said, I just pull up, open the door, and said, who wants to get in and go to church? And they just come piling in. Said, Bill, this is not a good look. Not a good look. So we had to make some changes, right? So we need to get some permission from parents. You can't just grab kids off the street, Okay. And so we tweaked it quite a bit. But what was so awesome about Bill is that that was just his heart. And, and he drove that bus week after week after week until he couldn't drive it anymore. And cancer started to eat his life. 
And I remember being in the hospital room when Bill passed away. The family had called and said, hey, if you're going to come say goodbye, you need to say goodbye. And I went into the hospital room, and it was just me and his wife and a couple of kids. And Man, I just thought, here's this most ordinary guy in the world, plain, but wow, so filled with compassion and so filled with mercy. And there's, if you're ever wondering what God's called you to do, church, let me just tell you right now, you speak to their fear, right? You speak to their fear, you lift them up with some hope for their future, and you allow God to use you, to flow through you, to cancel shame. To just wipe it out. It's going to cost us. It's not going to come cheap, right? We can't just dole out mercy and think that there's not going to be a price to pay for that. Because I said last week, here's what I said. I said, mercy is compassion made visible. Friday night, we had a leaders meeting here at the church, and I said, hey, this back part of the property where there's, we just built, it's almost 5,000 square feet. I said, hey, I said, imagine what God's going to do in that place, because God's already been dealing with me, and and yes, we're going to have dinner there. We're going to eat. It's okay. We're going to eat. We'll have dinners and, and food, but think about that just being a place of God's mercy, the things that we could do the, to, for kids and for the needy and and expanding our food pantry, and I just see all sorts of things that God's going to do in that space where we could just be used in incredible ways to cancel shame, speak hope, huh? To lift people up and not push them down. Remember last week I, I preached on the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is the parable that smacks our religiosity in the face and our pride and unbelief. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? We read it last week where it says this. This is what it cost the Samaritan. Remember the Bible says this in Luke chapter 10. It says he bandaged up the man's wounds. Where did he get the bandages? He didn't have gauze on him. He didn't have a first aid kit. He ripped his own clothing. He ripped his own cloth, his own linens, the things that he used to sleep at night, maybe the clothes even on his own back. He ripped them and he made bandages. He poured in oil and wine, the things that he used to cook with and and for medicine. He gave it up for this man. And the Bible says he set him on his own animal, right? What does that mean? That means that from here on out, you're walking, right? He's on the donkey now. You're the one walking. And he took money out of his pocket and promised more money. Mercy cost us our time our effort, our energy, our finances. But we have been given so much mercy that I still say this, blessed are the merciful. Right? Because, listen, we'll never run out of God's mercy. But it's not ours to hoard. Right? If I said last week that mercy is compassion made visible, I would say this, mercy is giving to others what you have been given. It's given to others what you have been given or what's been given to you. I want to ask Pastor Mark to come. And I want us to just pray on our way out today. And there's things out in the lobby that hopefully that you'll hang out and do. But 
I said today that I felt like God was healing hearts and lives, and I want to spend a little time revisiting this because there may be somebody here today who is still struggling with shame. A few weeks ago, I preached on mercy for your family and how we have to forgive ourselves as parents because there's no perfect parents in the room. And I have made mistake after mistake as a dad, mistake after mistake as a husband, but God's mercies are new for me every day. And I've had to forgive myself, I've had to forgive my dad, but some of you today, there's still some residue of shame in your life. And certainly I would not point you out, and certainly I would not have you come forward in front of everybody, but I do believe that God's going to touch you today, and here's what I'm going to ask. First of all, if everyone would bow their head and close their eyes. Thanks for joining us, and thank you to our Grace family who have been generously giving in to this ministry. For more information about our church, please visit gogracechapel.com and give us a follow on Facebook or Instagram with the same handle at gogracechapel. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.